You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. And welcome to another episode of the RN Mentor Podcast. Uh, my name is Ali Tayeb, and I am your host. Uh, today, I would like to introduce everyone to Dr. Perez, Dr. Adriana Perez. Uh, she is an assistant professor and senior fellow at the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing. As a scientist, her research is focused on the influence of community-level factors on the well-being of Spanish-speaking older Latinos with Alzheimer's disease. And Dr. Perez has served as a policy chair of the National Association of Hispanic Nurses and elected congressional fellows supported by the Atlantic Philanthropies and Centers of Disease Control and Prevention Healthy Aging Program. She is fellow of the Gerontological Society of America and the American Academy of Nursing, where she currently serves as the Academy's Institute for Nursing Leadership. As a board-certified adult nurse practitioner, she provides community-based long-term care for diverse, frail, older uh, elders who reside in North Philadelphia. Dr. Perez has received numerous awards and, and recognitions for her sustained contributions to research, education, and policy in practice. Dr. Perez is originally from Yuma, Arizona, a predominantly migrant Latino farm working community at the U.S.-Mexico border. She received her bachelor's, master's, and PhD from Arizona State University, College of Nursing and Health Innovations, where she also completed her postdoctoral fellowship. Welcome to the show, Dr. Perez. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Tayeb Ali. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for being here. and Thank you for your time. Uh, I want to, before we get started anything, uh, let's talk about Yuma. I've actually had have been there a few times mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I was there for a couple of months and it is extremely, extremely hot. Yeah. So, uh, it is very hot. Yes. It it's goes, about, a, it gets up to about 120 degrees this time of year. Uh, I, and, and I can, I can vouch for that. We were actually, I was uh, during my time in the military, I was stationed at Camp Pendleton and we were, I was with the light armored vehicles or LAVs. Uh, um, and uh, we actually drove uh, to Yuma to test new engines at the uh, Army Proving Grounds mm-hmm. that are out there. And when we got there, uh, when we were out in the field, we would take out ice, we would take ice water. And as soon as we were out the door, that ice water would turn into hot water. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it is a hot, hot place. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, and I loved growing up there. You know, I, I met my husband when I was in junior high, uh, you, and and we both went to Yuma High School. But as you said, you know, it's a it's a border community, uh, the southwest part of Arizona, overlooking the Colorado River. And an interesting part of Yuma is that it had 
uh, one of the oldest uh, territorial prisons, Yuma Territor Territorial Prison. And the reason why I like to share that is because my high school um, was actually situated within the territorial prison. And so growing up, I wasn't a student at the time, but um, our mascot was the Yuma High School Criminals because of that. And it was a very famous mascot. Um, of course, if you're not from there, don't know the history, it sounds a little strange, but it you know, received many national accolades for being so unique. And so we had a very fun uh, time growing up in high school, you know, with the whole sort of, uh, you know, uh, territorial prison background um, <laughs> and just had a, a lot of fun with it. So um, I like to share that as a bit of a, you know, fun fact. But, well, but let me, add, you know, let me add, you know, the other thing I love to share about my hometown is that it is, it, it was home to Cesar Chavez. Oh, wow. Uh, Cesar Chavez, you know, was from Yuma, Arizona, and he actually grew up in a, a smaller town closer to the border, Gadsden and San Luis, Arizona. And he so he spent a lot of time sort of in Gadsden, San Luis, Arizona, Somerton. And so, you know, it, it's he is part of the history um, of Yuma. And I always like to share that I'm from, you know, where Cesar Chavez was from. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I always like to start with my guests uh, talking about how they got started with their with the profession of nursing. Uh, how mm -hmm. did how did that come about? And what was your experience like coming into the profession? Well, um, I love talking about this. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for the question. Uh, I so my grandmother was a nurse in Mexico. And um, I, my brother and my sisters and I would go and visit her um, and the rest of our family in, in, in Mexico every summer. And, you know, we did that every summer throughout my time in high school. Um, and so I always, I always, as a young uh, girl, you know, would um, see her in her um, nurse, nurse uniform. And what I admired about her was that everyone in the neighborhood, you know, loved her, respected her, and would go to her for advice uh, when they were sick. You know, in Mexico, uh, one of the differences um, in terms of, you know, the system there is that uh, pharmacists are um, ones who provide a lot of education for medication. You know, they can administer, let's say, injections, etc. And so, um, you know, she was very close with the pharmacists around the corner. They would call on her for questions as well. And, you know, oftentimes she um, served as a private duty nurse. And so she would take me along with her. And I just loved, you know, seeing her in her role. And so, you know, forward years later, I was in a senior in high school and our English teacher had us write a paper about what we were going to do, what profession, you know, we would pursue upon graduation. And, um, you know, uh, I had a summer job at the time and I was sharing with um, someone who served as a mentor to me at the time when I was in high school that, you know, I really loved what my grandmother did as a nurse. And he said, you know, he was my supervisor. He said, my wife is a nurse, my daughter's a nurse, and I think you would be a great nurse. And I think you should, you know, go into nursing school. And so I did, I mean, I basically used that assignment 
to do my research on nursing, look at what the environment was like, the demand, um, you know, what kind of different roles nurses um, had. And I got very excited. So that's what I wrote about. You know, I did well on my paper and and my teacher encouraged me to uh, pursue nursing. And luckily in my hometown, we did have, we still do have a associate degree program, Arizona Western College. And that's where I went first for a two-year degree program. And I really, really loved it. So that's how I got started in, in nursing. That's fantastic. Um, now, how did you, since you started as a, in an associate's degree program, what convinced you? Obviously, you've come a long way since your associate's degree program. What convinced you to um, move further ahead in your, uh, in your career and your professional path? Well, you know, our, the faculty in our associate degree program always, always talked to us as if we would continue. You know, it was, um, they, um, they always uh, talked about sort of our next step. And it, so it was ingrained into, definitely for me, it was ingrained in, to, in my thinking that I would continue uh, to go to school. And it was always my dream to go to Arizona State University because I was from a small town and I had older friends who would, uh, you know, were going to ASU and um, back then and even now it had this, uh, this image of being a party school. <laughs> uh, so I always, you know, wanted to get away from the small town and, and just sort of venture out. But what I took away from it, you know, the image of it being kind of this fun school was that. I can have fun while studying and I could have, you know, sort of this balance of, of, of you know, being in school in a very tough um, academic program, but at the same time that there was a lot of fun there, you know, I would have fun being with my friends and not being too far from home. Um, so I knew right away that I would move. And as soon as I graduated, um, I think like, you know, within the next few days, I literally packed up, uh, you know, a, a van and went and moved to Tempe to start right away in the fall. I started my bachelor's program and just continued on. Um, at the time, Arizona State had a bridge program that actually took nurses from their associate degree program, or if you had another degree, and um, um, so that you could continue on your master's. So that was helpful for me because I knew I would get my bachelor's degree, but I was on my way already to get a master's degree. And that was uh, very motivating for me. Oh, that's great. Um, so uh, I know a lot of, a lot of uh, bridge programs have come along in the last few years, just from the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the, as a result of the IOM report, the 2010 IOM report. Um, so uh, they were kind of ahead of the, the game. Now I know uh, you have had uh, a lot of, you know, most of your work and research right now is around geriatrics. Uh, can you talk mm -hmm. to me about how you got involved in, in that process and how did that come about? Yeah, so, um, you know, my, my first position was in long-term care. I was an, a licensed practical nurse. That was another cool thing about our program is that after your first year, um, if you spent the summer, uh, you know, uh, with some additional training, you can become an LPN. And I was very excited about that because, you know, I always went to school and, 
and worked. So being an LPN offered me um, another opportunity to be able to get hands-on experience. I mean, I was very young um, and yet I could work, you know, help my family out and be in school. And so that my first position was in long-term care. And I, I, you know, I always loved long-term care. I loved uh, being around older adults. And um, really that decision for me was solidified when I moved to ASU and I started working at St. Joseph's Hospital and Medical Center. I worked in a cardiac um, floor and most of our patients were older. So, um, you know, I, I always felt like no matter what, um, you know, it's important to know about aging and healthy aging, especially because regardless of where you work, if it's the ER, if it's uh, ICU, um, most of your patients are going to be older. So, um, you know, I thought for me, that was a no brainer. And I had also really studied um, our profession and where sort of the gaps were, the needs. I knew that Latinas, Latinos were a major need in our profession, as well as nurses that specialize in um, gerontology. So I, that, you know, for me was, again, something that motivated me to try to be one of those that would try to fill the gap. Thank you. Um, so um, as far as your career path, um, uh, I mean, it sounds like you, have, you definitely have a love for going into uh, into the field that you went into, um, how did you, how did you, what made you, what motivated you to go the, like the doctoral route and actually do research uh, in the area or in the field? Yeah. So when I was a nurse in this cardiac um, unit, I, I mean, I think I always say that my research question started then uh, in my master's program, I just became, you know, very aware of of the system and the fact that most of our patients who were Latino, you know, especially being in Arizona, in Phoenix, um, that, you know, I participated, I was very active in uh, governance and um, I was recruited to be part of our cardiac quality team. Uh, and I, you know, and I really loved learning about our system and where um, we we needed to improve. And so one thing that was very obvious was that our, when it came to our quality measures, um, older Latinos, especially older Latina women would um, not experience the same quality, you know, they would not have the same quality uh, cardiac outcomes as other patients. So I always ask, you know, why, why was that? And um, it really encouraged me to go back to school because, you know, you, I, I think as a nurse, um, you realize that most of what we learn to do is based on the majority population, you know? So as I started reading more and more, I realized that um, most of what we did, you know, was, was, did not include older Latinas or Latinos or, or immigrants or people that didn't speak English. So, I just felt that was a big need, and I knew that um, having a PhD would prepare me to be able to, um, you know, uh, uh, increase our knowledge, develop knowledge, create tools for nurses to be able to provide um, 
care for patients like the ones I was seeing, you know, that were, um, you know, really um, not able to benefit from advances in science or whatever we were doing in the hospital. So, um, you know, I've grown a lot since then, but really that's how my interest in research began. And luckily, um, you know, the PhD program at ASU started a year after I graduated as a nurse practitioner. So I thought, you know, this is perfect. I'll work as a nurse practitioner for a year and go back to school, um, you know, to get my PhD when the program starts. And I was in the first cohort of PhD students at Arizona State. And I, you know, I feel very fortunate because I had, you know, the best mentorship experience uh, ever, you know, as a, as a doctoral student. And it really built from my graduate program and my master's program. I wrote a thesis about the cultural meaning of heart health for older Latinas. And um, I met a young, you know, researcher, Julie Fleury at Arizona State University. She had, you know, developed... Um, a, a theoretical framework that focused on individual wellness, uh, but took into account the environment, social support network, and the individual's own values and motivation for health. So, you know, I that's how I learned. And she not only, you know, was she this brilliant researcher, but she was a great role model. And I loved going with her to the community where she was doing her research and seeing her um, really display the values and the integrity of a researcher. And I just, you know, I just wanted to be like that. And, um, you know, I was able to continue to work with her in my PhD program. And so um, I think that that really helped me along the way. Thank you. Um, so uh, how did you um, just, the, the part of, um, how everything kind of came together that you happened to have uh, somebody at the university that had, that, that had already, that had developed an instrument um, uh, that, that helped you in your studies and having a mentor like that must've been very meaningful. Now, this is a, something that comes up uh, a lot with when I talk to some of my students and maybe you can shed some light on this. Um, how do you go about uh, choosing either a university or a program or a mentor um, that actually aligns with what you want to do? Uh, what was that process for you? Well, and then that's, you're right. That's a very important question because um, the, a match doesn't always happen that way, you know, as you pointed out. Um, like I said, I feel that I was very lucky that I had, I think, not just Dr. Flurry, you know, as a match, but I had a team of mentors. And, um, you know, the other mentor that I had, her name is Esther Ruiz, Dr. Esther Ruiz, and she was the co-founder of the National Association of Hispanic Nurses in Arizona, that chapter. And I had heard about Dr. Ruiz before I moved to Phoenix. Um, I she She was one of something like three nurses west of the Mississippi with a PhD that was a Latina. And so I knew that I would be very lucky to be in a university where she was and she was there. And so she, you know, she was a mentor that helped to fulfill, you know, my needs culturally, right? Like she helped me um, 
stay culturally grounded, you know, uh, make sense of what I was learning in terms of the Latino culture, older women, aging, etc. Um, and so that, you know, again, it, it was a perfect match. It not, it's not always that case. Um, and I say that because I was really encouraged to pursue my own research, you know, to develop my own intervention that I could test in the community. Um, and so I, what, you know, I say it's not always the case because often students, you know, to be honest, students will enter a program and they, what I see that they do is mainly do work for their mentor. Does that make sense? And, and it's not that it's wrong or, you know, I, I'm not, I don't have a strong opinion against it. I, I just feel lucky that I was encouraged to pursue my own research question that I could you know, be creative about what I wanted to study. And even though at the time uh, it was considered very ambitious, you know, I wrote a National Research Service Award to the National Institute of Nursing Research. It was funded in the first try. And it was, um, even though the reviewers said that it was very ambitious, they felt that I had all the tools, the resources in place because I had, you know, been at ASU for my master's. I had written a thesis I had, you know, great mentors that had, you know, great funding. So, you know, I, I don't, I, I wish that more students had that experience and it's not always the case. Again, I, I see um, in many universities, you know, you're encouraged to, the goal is for you to finish on time. And, I, you know, I finished in four years and some, you know, it's the goal is to maybe even finish in three years. So the only way that um, many can do that is by doing secondary analysis, you know, sort of building on their mentor's program of research. And again, I don't, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I just feel very fortunate that I had a different experience. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, that's one of the things that actually I was looking for when I did my PhD program was a, was a school that was going to allow me to follow my research path, not necessarily do a piece of somebody else's sort of portfolio. Um, and that was just a personal, personal choice. I was looking at a population that I knew nobody else was looking at. Um, so it was going to be difficult to find, uh, you know, like a, like a university that's going to allow me to kind of do my own and just support me in, during the process. And mm-hmm. I was, uh, and I was lucky enough, like I said, to have a, a few mentors, um, that had, uh, I, I, w- I looked at uh, veterans with less than honorable discharges, um, and I had um, a couple of my um, uh, mentors ended up being actually veterans, and uh, one of them had was a career military person um, mm-hmm. that was now that's now teaching. Um, so they were able to support me in the process with, and you know, kind of. Um, give me some leeway. So that was, mm-hmm. I know it's important for certain researchers to do what they, what they kind of want to do, but they need the guidance. So I know, mm-hmm. I know it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is ambitious. I was told, don't do it. It's going to mm-hmm. take you forever, but uh, I got done in time. So it's just, yes, it can be done. Yes, <laughs> it can be done. It can definitely be done. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Uh, now you have a, a rather uh, robust uh, um, uh you know, research work done uh, with 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 your population, and uh, and right now you're studying um, 
uh, Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. Uh, um, how did you get involved with that process? Because uh, a lot of times, and I know a couple of nurses that, you know, work with, you know, um, with something where, you know, you, you would think it would be more clinical uh, as far as, you know, something that nurses don't usually get into. But, you know, I know a lot of nurses that do clinical research. Um, mm-hmm. What is your research involved with and how did you get involved with it? Well, um, you know, building on my original work in Arizona, I, as part of my pre-doctoral program and then my postdoctoral program, I developed and tested a physical activity intervention among older Latinas um, to improve, you know, to increase physical activity in order to improve blood pressure and other cardiovascular health outcomes. And it was, you know, an intervention, 12-week intervention, community-based, building social network, um, building community resources, and really focusing on individual participant Um, motivation and goals. What I learned early on, and actually uh, this is um, something that I've taken, you know, with me to my practice now as a nurse practitioner, and that is, you know, that every person has, even though, you know, our culture, as far as Latinas, Latinos, we, there are common threads, you know, language, certain traditions, uh, family, familismo, you know, there's, there's these values that are spoken of in the literature for decades. Every person um, I've learned has a, a different and unique um, motivation for their own health goals. So I always say that, you know, none of my patients ever say, oh, my goal is to, you know, have a total cholesterol less than 200. No one ever speaks that way. Um, They each have their own goal of why they want to stay healthy, why they want to do X, Y, and Z. And in this case, it's physical activity. And I always ask that, you know, I ask that of my patients, like, what do you, you know, what do you want for yourself? What, you know, what is your goal? And I love learning that about them because then, you know, I see myself as a facilitator in their goals. And I feel privileged enough as a provider to be able to come into their life and be able to, um, you know, help achieve some of those goals, but it really is, is their goal. And so this intervention um, relies on a person developing their own goals, uh, being able to self-regulate throughout the program, you know, so monitoring their own progress and being successful as a result. And because, you know, they increase their social network support, they increase their community capacity to stay healthy by finding places to walk that are safe, et cetera. You know, all these, there's multiple levels of strategies in this intervention. So, you know, fast forward, you know, my time now in, at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, what is very striking to me is um, the... Uh, you know, the number of Latinos that are experiencing a disproportionate burden of cognitive health disease, namely Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. Uh, Many of the reason, you know, there are many reasons. And one is really due in large part to, you know, high rates of physical inactivity. You know, what I'm seeing is also um, that um, older Latinos, actually 50 and older, are hardly ever 
um, assessed, you know, for their cognitive, uh, they hardly ever receive a cognitive assessment. And that is really key, you know, to being able to identify, you know, to detect um, any kind of cognitive, potential cognitive problems. So um, what, you know, I'm now interested in doing is replicating this work, but also seeing if physical activity not only improves cardiovascular health, but can also um, improve or delay cognitive decline and improve other things as well, like sleep that we know, you know, are tied to overall cardiovascular health. And so it's, you know, there's this um, um, proposal that I just submitted to the National Institute on Aging, um, you know, has been reviewed, waiting for, you know, um, uh, funding, hopefully, eventually, it's something I don't plan to give up on. um, Because really, you know, uh, less than 1% of clinical trial participants include Latinos. And to me, that is, you know, just, um, it's just terrible when it comes to health and healthcare. Because again, going back to, you know, how I started as a nurse, as a young nurse, I knew that most of the guidelines, the protocols that we um, implemented, you know, hardly any of them included Latinos and especially those that are Spanish speaking. So, um, you know, I'm very determined to change that. And so I think, you know, for that reason alone, this research is important. And secondly, you know, this uh, Alzheimer's is expected to increase by 800% among older Latinos in the next 20 years. Oh, wow, that's uh, uh, you know, I was uh, as you're as you're talking about this, um, I, I've had a I've had a you know um, issue with the fact that uh, especially with when it comes to older adults, uh, we have like in when we teach medical surgical nursing or anything like that, uh, we don't really address uh, even though we we address uh, older adults as sort of a footnote into the mm-hmm. overall of what we teach in, in nursing school. Um, but it's not really emphasized, I think, it as much as it should be. Uh, same thing, I, I, was, I worked for an organization that, uh, that became niche certified, and I was one of, the, uh, 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 one of the individuals that actually was on the leadership team that actually helped implement that at the, at the facility. And one of the things I had an issue back then with the, with the program was it didn't it didn't really address uh, um, cultural components, and it, it may have changed since uh, this is many years ago. Uh, um, but it didn't address them. So when you're talking about, you know, like the like Latino, Latina, uh, Latinx populations, um, that has a whole different component. Because I always think back to my uh, when I was when I was in nursing school, I had a I had a, a, a Latina patient who was uh, probably in her I want to say early sixties, maybe mid sixties, and um, you know she had newly di- newly been diagnosed with diabetes, and she refused to make some lifestyle changes because of the family dynamics, and um, the husband was not willing to change lifestyle of the family and it, it became quite complicated and it was a little over my head at the time. Uh, but I remember, I still, it's one of the stories I still use when I, when I talk about, you know, do we need to be, have a greater awareness of, uh, 
culture and environment. And so when we, when you talk about specifically what the individual goals are, it kind of speaks to me uh, from that perspective because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't just hand somebody a pamphlet and, and, you know, teach them the pamphlet mm-hmm. and they're good to go. So that individualization right. really becomes important for the patients. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's, okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, now, um, as far as um, uh, I want to talk to you, uh, uh, talk to you a little bit about uh, uh, the uh, Latino Latina uh, population uh, in healthcare, uh, just because uh, I, I teach at a university where we have a large Latinx uh, population uh, in our mm-hmm. program, and at the university, uh, the I think that's actually the majority of the university is uh, being in Los Angeles. That's uh, uh, being in the heart of Los Angeles, that's mm-hmm. the population that we serve. Um, how do we, um, how, what do we need to do to increase uh, the population and how do we, uh, what do we need to do to get more uh, of the population into our um, advanced practice, nursing and teaching and going into research? Because I think, you know, we talk about diversity and I think it's important that the people that are researching um, are also of a diverse background because, you know, uh, uh, it just brings a whole uh, different perspective uh, to right. the science. So what do we need to do? What, what, what do you think we need yeah. to do? Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm really glad that we're talking about this subject because it is also another sort of arm of the work that I do um, because I recognize being a researcher and a nurse practitioner that, there are not very many of us, um, and so you're spot on that our worldview, our perspective, does impact our science. You know, we ask different questions, we interpret findings a certain way. Obviously, speaking the language is a big uh, plus because you don't have to have an interpreter for these things. You know, you have a direct relationship with a participant or a patient, and that makes a world of difference. And so I think that, you know, when I graduated or, you know, when I was um, starting nursing school at the time, my um, academic advisor said that less than 5% of nurses were Latina, Hispanic. Um, and I was, I could not believe it. You know, I was, I was really struck by that. And sad to say, you know, here we are 20 years later now that I'm a nurse that really hasn't changed. We have not kept up with the growth of the population. And it really is, I think, at a detriment um, to our population because not just among Latinos, but, you know, African-American, Asian-Americans, I, I feel like our profession, which is, you know, supposed to be the most trusted profession, doesn't fit the communities that we serve. And so what is it that, you know, over these last 20 years we've done, we have done and not done. Well, I've looked at the literature and obviously number one is an investment in the infrastructure that it takes to recruit, retain, and mentor and ensure the success of, in this case, Latinos, Latinas. Um, You know, oftentimes uh, these are efforts that are um, left to a few to try to solve, but it really needs um, the support, top-down support, you know, from, and if we're talking about academia, you know, 
from the very top to the very bottom, uh, we need the support and the understanding that that is a goal of the institution. Um, it cannot always just be left to a few, you know, that are faculty that are Spanish speaking. You know, I, I really do think it takes a concerted and organized effort to be able to do that, number one. And, and again, number two is really that that infrastructure is supported financially in order to be able to sustain efforts. Um, you know, recruiting, retaining, mentoring students requires uh, uh, requires support. It requires resources and dedication to that kind of time. And I know because when I was a student, you know, speaking of Dr. Ruiz, I always went to her for everything. And I know that she was there for me because she cared about me, but those weren't things that were on her CV. You know, those weren't things that she got promoted for. Um, those were things that were not acknowledged. And I feel like this sort of cycle keeps repeating itself. You know, we need to acknowledge this, the time and contributions of Latinx faculty and other faculty that are working really hard to make sure that our profession changes for, you know, for the better of our community. And so these are efforts that I think um, really need support and uh, at all levels, you know. Um, so those are things that I know through the literature continue to be barriers. And, you know, as you've pointed out there, I think the there is a growing community, especially of Latinos in LA. I see it now that I moved to Philadelphia. I think that we should um, start thinking out of the box in terms of who our partners are. Um, you know, I, I, I say this a lot when I talk about this topic, and that is there are other institutions outside of healthcare that do this very well. Um, you know, in, in other words, recruit and retain Latinos, uh, find, you know, ways to engage and positively um, engage Latinos in, into different fields like education, for example. Um, there is a great organization in Phoenix called Chicanos por la Causa, and they recognize that health and healthcare are, um, you know, factors that contribute to early education. So, you know, they're invested in education and, and invested in healthcare. They see how all of these things are connected. Um, and yet I see, you know, very little effort in terms of nursing or other healthcare organizations that reach out to organizations like Chicanos por la Causa to partner, to learn, you know, best practices from such organizations. And I think we could do a better job at working outside of our comfort zone to, um, to really learn from the experts in these areas. Yeah, uh, I've been uh, I've been fortunate enough to work at a university that has the, the population, uh, and we you know we have a um, department, and we're actually uh, there's a new college being developed at the university uh, around ethnic studies. So uh, I know there's support at the universities. We just uh, you know I I, I have uh, you know I I have colleagues that uh, you know work at schools that don't have the same resources and don't have the same. Uh, perhaps support, and I think part of what you're saying is correct. It's sort of the the structure and the leadership uh, don't uh, may not have the know how 
into how to do exactly what you what you mentioned, which is uh, recruit, retain, mentor. Those components may be may be missing. Because um, mm-hmm. I do the same thing at my university uh, with uh, with uh, well, I'm a veteran, so uh, I reach out to the veterans uh, that are that come into the program um, just so you know there's a there's a instant sort of trust that is built. Exactly. Just, uh, so I think that makes a huge difference. Exactly. Um, uh, but you, you're right. Those are things that we don't necessarily get get credit for. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's it's but there are necessities that we have to do in order to make sure. Um, our students are successful uh, in the program. So uh, I think it's a, it's a, it's an extremely valuable thing when you have a diverse, uh, culturally diverse, background-wise diverse um, uh, when you build a program. Um, so I completely agree with you. Well, and now being, you know, on the other side, just as you're doing, I mean, you could, there is so much satisfaction um, that, you know, you receive as a mentor now or as someone who, you know, is now so invested in ensuring that, you know, these numbers change because then you see our, what our future will look like, you know, in, in young students or, you know, in, in your case, young veterans that are entering, you know, the the university, the institution, and you do get so much that you do get so much out of it, you know, as a mentor. And I do love that part of my work, but, um, you know, it, it, it does it, it is above and beyond what I'm, you know, what my role is. And I just wish that for me and others that do this day in, day out, that there was somehow uh, that support, um, you know, that acknowledgement and that support to just as much as our research is important. I mean, think about, you know, we're, we could be, cha- we're changing the face of our profession. And in my case, you know, the scientific workforce, which continues to lag behind. So I think this is equally important uh, as a contribution. Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually I brought this, uh, I, I had had the opportunity to speak to uh, Dr. Grantiv um, a while back uh, for one of the podcasts, uh, the president of ANA and, yeah. um, and something, you know, uh, we brought up is, you know, making sure that we, we are, we engage in, in, in the communities that we're not necessarily, uh, uh, you know, of the cultural background. I am not of of, uh, uh, of a Latino or Hispanic background, but I joined uh, the LA uh, uh, chapter of the um, Hispanic Nurses Association, and and primarily, like I said, it was because of uh, making sure that I that I'm aware of the community that I am in. Los Angeles as a large Hispanic. Uh, population. So for me to be involved in a chapter like that was important. Just also, I have, uh, you know, uh, I, I teach at a university mm-hmm. uh, that has that has the same population. So it's important for me to understand the population more than just what I read or, you know, a few friends that I have. Right. Uh, so it's, it's, it's more uh, complicated than that. And having those resources that I can, if I don't have the answer to, having the ability to guide my students to another nurse uh, that can, uh, that they may feel more comfortable speaking to or mm-hmm, use as a resource. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah I so did, definitely. I did the same thing, Ali, you know, I joined the um, uh, Southeast chapter of the uh, National Black Nurses Association in Philadelphia, because predominantly where I live and, you know, West Philly is predominantly, you know, African American community. And, you know, I didn't. I wish I would have done it earlier, but I joined for exactly those reasons. You know, to um, 
to understand my community better. You know, I have students as well, like you said, you know, that are part of the community. And so it is important to be grounded where we are and to know um, what are the issues um, as well as the traditions, you know, sort of the resources that exist within and within this community. And I've just been so impressed with the um, chapter and the president and uh, what they offer. So I do recommend it. And so you're right. I mean, you were right to do that. And I encourage our colleagues to do the same. Yeah. So yeah, it's been, it's, it's been, it's definitely been, uh, uh, COVID-19 sort of have, has thrown things off. We were actually supposed to have a, have a, um, a conference, uh, mm-hmm. after, you know, yes. after everything kind of got shut down. So, uh, weren't able to do that, but hopefully, uh, when everybody's back, we'll be able to, uh, get back on the horse, I'll sort of say, and uh, mm-hmm. continue that work. So uh, I know there's a, it's the LA chapter is very active. And mm-hmm. um, so I look forward to continuing to work with them. Great. Um, so thank you so much. Um, anything else you want to share with our, uh, with our uh, uh, listeners? Uh, well, I think, you know, we, um, it was important to cover mentorship. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, who my mentors have been. And then the fact that, you know, I now have, uh, I feel a very, I love the mentoring role as well, you know, now that I'm a faculty member. And, you know, what I tell my students and my mentees is that, you know, encourage them to look for many different mentors. You know, it could be, as I've shared, my research mentor, my sort of personal mentor, you know, Dr. Ruiz, in terms of my culture and being confident in my own knowledge, Um, you know, in terms of your leadership track, find mentors there. And I've been very fortunate to have excellent mentors. And when it comes to leadership, uh, people like nurses like Linda Burns Bolton, Taylor Hardin, um, and others. And even, you know, those that you might admire from afar, and you only get to talk to them at a conference, but you stay connected through email. There are many ways to, I think, um, you know, to stay uh, connected with people that you admire, whose career you admire. And um, there are things about that person's uh, accomplishments or contributions that you see, you know, yourself being able to do. I think that's very important for all of us, no matter what stage of our career um, we're in. So I, you know, I, I did want to share that, that I continue to do that myself and, um, you know, but in no way am I an expert, but I feel like having a good mentor and mentoring others uh, is definitely key to making sure that not only, you know, our profession grows and, and, and reflects our community, but that we really do solve, you know, these sort of bigger more complex issues when it comes to health equity um, and ensuring that everybody has, you know, an opportunity to be healthy. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, Well, thank you for your time. I greatly appreciate you being on the podcast. Uh, I look forward to uh, following your career. Uh, I know we're already, we're we're that we're connected on Twitter. So I will continue to uh, follow uh, and see what you're doing and uh, hopefully uh, we'll have you back on the show. 
Absolutely. And thank you so much for doing this. Congratulations on your show and on your artwork. I look forward to seeing that as well and staying connected to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great one. You too. You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host, Ali Taya. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.